0: Welcome back to the Hidden Jewels podcast. We are so excited today to bring you some amazing wisdom from Rhonda Howdy-Shell. We so enjoyed our conversation with her. She is going to share with you her journey to healing from Lyme disease and all of the lessons she's learned along the way. Let's get to it. Rhonda, I'm so so honored to have you here with us today. Thank you.
1: Yay, Rhonda! We're glad you're here.
2: I appreciate being invited. I really do.
0: So we're just continuing our um, talk with some of the queens from Miss Senior America, and you are Miss Virginia this year. Is that correct, Rhonda? That's
2: right. It was an interesting journey to become Miss Virginia. I am involved in pageantry. Uh for my heart, for my mission work. And that is, it's interesting that I became in the senior America pageant because usually I'm affiliated with other pageants across the country.
0: Okay. Yeah. And I love that you, you've already shared with us how you see this as, as your mission. And, um, and I love that I'm already so inspired by our our chat before we started recording of just um, how you really do see whatever it is the Lord brings into your life as a bridge to be on mission uh, for whatever he calls you to. So I'm just already so inspired. I can't wait for everybody to hear your story. So I'm just going to hand it to you. Tell us about Rhonda.
2: Oh, well, I am definitely a city-raised but country curled lady. And it's just interesting. Maybe it's the seniors as we look back in our lives and we see the tapestry that's being woven uh, of your life. Just wish I had. Uh, be able to impart some of that to our younger people because you're so confused and just what you even you're going through. I mean, I remember at 46 working 60 hours and this and that going on in my life and never having any time. But I tell you what made a difference for me is taking that time. Every morning I I have a a bit of a following with something called morning walk and I've done it for the last 8 or 9 years. I I don't keep track. But every morning I walk And when I walk, I let God inspire me with some word or something that I see. And when I do it, it brings to mind something. And so I will work on that and and put up something that we call, I say, every morning I say, thank you, Jesus, for my life the way it is. Because I know what it's like to have a life that is disabled. I know what it's like to have to be homeless. I know what it's like uh, to not know if you're going to be able to meet your bills. I I know all of these things because
1: I've lived a rich life and not a privileged life, although people think I have. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I have a question. Is this morning walk, I know it's something you do. Is it a uh, Facebook page? Is Is it something that people could learn from what you do? Well, you know,
2: it's funny because sometimes I have this thing on my car which says Miss Virginia Senior America, and I was coming out of the grocery store, and someone ran up to me, and they said, oh, my, uh, and I thought for sure she was going to talk to me about being Miss Virginia Senior America, but instead, you're Rhonda Show. I read I read Morning Walk every morning. Did I know she read it? No, it's a Facebook page, and I just started putting it up on my own personal page. I share it to other, several other inspirational pages uh, every morning. And it's, I can say, I don't know what it's going to be about. Uh, sometimes you just got to let go and trust. It's not planned out, and I don't have anything on the shelf. I depend every morning on God to show me what He would have me share. Oh, Isn't wow. that
1: beautiful? But oh, it, it sounds like it's birds from a heart of gratitude, right? I, I, you know, that's the thing. The heart of gratitude,
2: when my son was so disabled that he couldn't leave the house, and it was six years, the longest six years of any mother's life, and I thought his life was over, it wasn't until I fell to my knees and asked God, to step in. You know, let me let go, let God. You've heard that saying, but it's so true that things really went to crap. (laughs) Mm. Because right after that, I lost my job of 16 years. So now the health insurance and everything I used to take care of him and tie him to this world, those means were gone. And I didn't know what was going to happen. And that's when I literally uh, just had to trust. No matter what you're going through, uh, when it really gets shaken up and things are coming at you, you know that God is using that. And you ask Him, by the way, to change your path, right? You just sat, mm-hmm. lay, sat on your knees and asked Him. So then, afterwards, when something happens you don't like, you're not quite sure what to do with that. Yeah. So, sure enough, I tried to be calm uh, when I got the news that my apartment was being closed at something I had worked 16 years for. 16 years as a state employee with some of the most, you know, those bright and shiny reviews that they give you. I'd just been through all of that. But then in one day I didn't have a job. What in the world was I going to do? Well, there was a lot of things that God opened up during that period, but one of the things he taught me to do was to listen and follow. And I've never really done that. You know, you have to follow. and Sometimes it just goes against everything secular. When I went to look for another job, I had one job being offered to me that was 10,000 more a year, had all the bells and whistles that you would look for, the health care, and blah, 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 blah. And then I also had interviewed for a job called Habitat Humanity. It had no health care. It had oh, it, not even 10,000 less. It was a lot less in money every month to the point where I didn't know how I was going to meet the obligations we had, meet the mortgage, have a roof over our head. Mm -hmm. And I just decided to trust and lay it down and walk into that. And I wasn't quite sure. (laughs) We're never sure, right? We wish we had real solid things for God to tell us. But in my case, he got real personal. And I had talked to the president of the bank, which was the other job. And I told him, I said, I need to think about this. I literally, at the time, this was when I had the phone, you know, a real phone. I was talking to him on, not my cell phone. Mm -hmm. And I had the phone down in front of me at my desk. And I literally said in my heart, I said, God, what am I going to do? And the phone rang under my hand. It did. This is not a story. That rang under my hand. And I just picked it up and said, hello. who was on the phone? The president of the Habitat Board of Directors was calling me a month early. I wasn't supposed to hear from them for a month about whether or not I might be considered for a job that 125 people had applied for. And he said, "We want to offer you the job." And I said, "I said yes. I didn't hesitate." He said, "Well, that was quick." And I said, "I'll tell you later." And so. <laughs> <laughs> you don't often get that <laughs> but um, so that purpose was real clear but i went through and i said yes when everything in the world told me i should have said no and taken the better job more money more prestige more everything that you needed right but instead he used that step i don't even want to call it a step down because it was the biggest blessing of my life my son was healed it was a long story, but my son was healed after being six years because
0: of my obedience. Um, yeah. So take us back. Do you do you want to share a little bit about your son and and what had happened there?
2: Uh, my son uh, was the most valuable player on the football team. Uh, he played t ball and did everything, and he was an A. B. honor roll student until he wasn't. Hmm. Uh, he had been bullied in middle school to the point. He became very anxiety-ridden. He uh, had OCD, which is the secondary axis of depression. Uh, they diagnosed him with ADHD. Uh, you know, basically we went to everyone, and he took every pill, and he did everything. He couldn't go to school. I had to homeschool him, high school. But here's the thing. During all of that, It was so horrible to watch one of your own suffer so much. It was like he died every day to you. It was Mm -hmm. like he was dead. And because his future was gone, everything was gone. And that's why I fell to my knees and asked God to help me, because I had been through six years of doing everything that this educated uh, director should know how to do. But it was when I went to that job, and I asked my son if he wanted to come volunteer. When he started to volunteer with Habitat for Humanity with me and build with the families, he began to focus on helping others. Mm-hmm. And inside of him was a spark. And he slowly came away from that. He didn't get his driver's license to 21, but that was amazing. Then, he, of course, he had total disability from Social Security because as the doctor said, he was a trash can of everything, you know, as far as diagnosis. And I know many families are going through this, not mm-hmm. just teenagers. I'm talking about families where they're suffering all of these different things. And so he he was so proud when he got his first job. Did he still have OCD? Did he still, he still have those things? Yes, he did. But my job as a mother was to tie him to the world until he could gain enough perspective and gain enough intelligence, you know, and maturity to be able to overcome these things. Mm -hmm. And with God's help, he did. Mm -hmm. And he went on to study religion. And it's just amazing. No, he's not a minister yet, but I know he will be. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How old is your son now? He's 41 now. And it wasn't until he was like 22 Uh, So basically, from the age of 13 to 22, he was in that dark tunnel. Uh, Some of us call it teenage years, but for me, it was a little bit more. We had to provide 24-7 care. Otherwise, our son would have been institutionalized.
0: Wow. Well, I know somebody is going to listen to this, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is a mama out there who needs hope right now. And she is going to come across this podcast and your story is giving her hope as we speak. So I'm always excited about the future listeners.
1: Well, Rhonda, what do you, mental mental health care awareness is, is rampant right now. And people, when yeah. you said that the doctor said he was the trash can of every diagnosis, basically. And that instead of teenage rebellion, you called it a dark tunnel? Yes.
2: Uh, Someone described that to me before. It says, if you're a mother of a teenager, get on your knees because you're going through a dark tunnel. But look at that light, focus on that light. You will get through it. But in this case, it was pretty black. And for him, it was pretty black. He did try to kill himself twice. Mm -hmm. And I think of all of the families who, it's not about me being successful. But I think of all of the families who've had to face that without an outcome where they have championed. And I, I'm just so very thankful. But what did it take? It took me being obedient. It took me bringing my child and exposing him to something like volunteering uh, and him being able to build some self-worth through that. Uh, all of these things it took. And when they finally did take hold and his heart has continued to blossom, did he have trouble with drugs? No, he never went out. Did he have trouble uh, with girls? No, he never went out. But the thing is, his father also has many of these many of these things, so I'm not sure so much of mirroring that. But, yes, he had post-traumatic stress from being bullied in school. And mm-hmm. children not only being bullied in school but on the Internet and uh, through the different social media. Media platforms, uh, and of course, COVID didn't help us any.
0: Mm. It's really an epidemic, and
2: this is—it's it? mm. an epidemic. And you know, the whole thing is so systemic. Once that—that that bottom phase, and they're too young to understand everything. They're too young to understand—not that we ever will—but they're too young to understand that it will get better. So this is what I did. Not only did I pray to God, but every day I'd walk up to him and I'd say, what are you thankful for? And some days he'd look at me and say, absolutely nothing. And this is a child who had to put on four pairs of plastic gloves to pet his cat. His anxiety and depression had spiraled into a secondary axis. These are diagnoses that you get outside of the the original diagnosis, and it it was um, OCD. Mm-hmm. obsessive-compulsive compel- disorder. And you'd think that someone who's obsessive-compulsive would be very organized and would clean. No, 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 no. Oh. I had to come home from work and literally take the broom and sweep up hundreds of pairs of plastic gloves mm-hmm. that were been thrown on the floor. Uh, we called them strewn. <laughs> <laughs> <We'd>... <laughs> but you see, the thing is, my husband kept saying, well, snap out of it, blah, 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 blah. And I took him aside and I said, you wouldn't say to that to someone who was in a wheelchair. So why are you saying that to your own son? We need to accept him where he is and where God has him and love him right where he is before we will ever go forward.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is such gold for the mother out there struggling. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard thing to do. Love them right where they are. I have a fix it kind of personality. Uh, my engineering degree and my engineering background wants to fix it. And I love your admonition. You cannot tell someone in a wheelchair just to get up and get out. You have to love them where they are until they aren't there anymore. Exactly. My son was depressed, and
2: I would I would try these inspirational things, and I'd say, "Well, look at them. They have no legs." And he told me later, Mom, when you told me those things, you actually made me feel worse about myself. I wanted me to kill myself because here I am with four, two arms and two legs, and I couldn't do it. Yet someone who was could. So we—it's kind of a cautionary tale. You love them where they are and celebrate who they are, and you focus on the thankfulness of what they have every day. And God grew it, and God grew it till he till he's now guess who guess who i have a grandson he got married he works every day he's independent these were impossible dreams when my son was 14 years old
1: does he look back in on his life and recognize that season like you describe it he doesn't
2: because he doesn't believe god orchestrated everything he does believe in God. Very, well, he does believe in God. Everything, but he has he's in a religion now called Sikh, which is a Christian religion, an Indian religion, and he studied religion, and it is about being a good person every day. And he he is the most measured, loving, accepting, honorable person I have ever met. Do I want him to fit? be thankful to Jesus and follow him like I do? Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) But does he yet? No. But I also know God has a
1: bigger testimony. That's right. I love when you said to focus on thankfulness, because I believe in the transforming power of a grateful heart. And I wrote a Bible plan about That's the title, The Transforming Power of a Grave Heart. And when you said that even your morning walk is about gratitude and how you helped your son move from disabled to abled uh, through the, you know, the healing and help of the Holy Spirit, you said it was all about asking him, what are you thankful for? Even when he said nothing, you kept kept gratitude in front of him. And I, Rhonda, I want you to know, I believe Gratitude is one of the top game changers in life. Mm -hmm. Wow.
2: And and now he understands, you know, he doesn't have, he, he he works a, you know, he's not a high power job and he, you know, affords his apartment and, you know, go to work and and, uh, modest food, not fancy food. And he said uh, there were there's some different sayings, and basically it was about being thankful for what you have where you are because that's someone else's dream. Hmm.
1: Okay, yes. so th- this is one of the stories that we knew that we had to dive in with you. And another story that I know that we have to dive in with you is something, to, uh, the testimony of God's faithfulness through your Lyme disease. Can we hear more about that as well? Well, that is interesting. Uh, Lyme disease. It is something to take
2: seriously, yet it's something so easily ignored because the doctors will diagnose you with other things very quickly. I was, um, grew up in the city, and we mentioned that, and my grandmother and mom thought the best thing in the world for us when I was about eight years old was to send us to camp here, right here where I live now, in the Shenandoah Valley. So here I went, sent off to camp for yeah, six weeks, eight weeks. But during that time, I had very long hair and I have thick hair, and a tick had become entached and engorged at the base of my neck. And when one of the counselors was brushing my hair and um, putting it in braids or whatever you do, she discovered it and it became a big deal to remove this tick. Now, look, keep in mind, this was back about 1961, 1962. No one knew anything about Lyme disease. So when I came down with a rash all over my body two days later, And some sickness symptoms, they thought I had measles and called my mother. I didn't have measles and know I wasn't contagious. She said it was a tomato rash, but it was the start of Lyme disease. And ever since that time, I had different maladies. Uh, Some of the things that I had going on were things like uh, chronic bruising, uh, the inability of my platelets to clot. Uh, I had things like uh, sinus issues. Oh, it, it manifests with different people in different ways. And so Lyme disease kind of grew up with me. I remember crying as a young girl. And my mother said, just get out of bed and get going. Because if you wake up alive, you don't wake up dead. You get out of bed when you're a Marine daughter.
1: <laughs> I love that. Okay. How old were you when this started as a camper? Uh, eight. Eight years old, oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And,
2: and then- so I... I I didn't really know uh, that I had Lyme disease until I was really 63 years old. So I had Lyme disease over 50 years. How did it manifest itself? Oh, guess who got diagnosed with my fibromyalgia? Uh, one doctor wrote MS on my chart. Another one thought I had rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, they wrote generalized arthritis on my chart. The tiredness was pervasive. The, real, the very hard part for me was not being able to speak a sentence. Can you imagine the ability to speak being taken away from you? What was God trying to tell me? Mm. Uh, I wasn't sure, but here I was working, but I was 62, and I decided to go ahead and retire from from my work. wasn't ready to retire, but I just felt like I didn't have the spark and the energy and the wherewithal to keep going. Plus my husband was getting worse. I'd come home and he'd say, Well, I I fell twice today. Mm. And you know he would fall and hit it and not get up for a while. Well that just doesn't not gonna happen. He needed someone to be home with him. So I did. I retired. And it was after I retired that I and I knew about Lyme disease. I met people with it. And I still didn't think it was what I had because, after all, the doctor had diagnosed me with, you know, all of these other things, like munch houses. You know, I was, like, reveling in all of these other diagnoses that I have. I was so disabled, right, but still going. But the weird thing was the math I couldn't do. I couldn't speak a sentence. And then after I retired, another tick bit me. Another tick? Why did he send another tick? Well, I guess because I wasn't listening on the first one. But he sent another tick, and I say, thank God he did. Uh, my doctor, who is a specialist in Lyme, I said, what do they do when you have Lyme and another tick bites you? She said, they have a party. Well, they sure did have a party in my uh, life. I mean, I got to the point where I couldn't even stand up. My blood pressure was so low. I uh, I wasn't able to be, I couldn't see real well. So I couldn't even go to my Bible class and read. I, I wasn't able to think straight. And towards the end, before I got help, my hands were trembling. Mm. Like Parkinson's. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, health is such a Jenga of life. You know, there's lots of different things. Uh, They call them comorbidities in this world. But it could very well be that you're fighting Lyme disease and you don't even know it. Here I was, an educated woman who'd lived a professional life. I heard about Lyme disease. I lived in the country. I had taken ticks off me, but did I think I had it? No, I didn't think I had it. So uh, I talked to my doctor. I had a migraines rash, and it was a blue-red rash that turned up. And, of course, at that time, I thought, oh, my. I have a blood clot. I'm going to die in two hours. Maybe I should call my doctor. <laughs> so, yeah, that sent me to the doctor when she looked at it with my other history. with the, And I remember, I've had a hip replacement, and she had already diagnosed me with general arthritis, which is a symptom of Lyme. Um, and she looked at that, and she says, Rhonda, I think you have Lyme disease. But they treat according to a CDC regulation, which says give the patient 15 days of doxy. Unfortunately, what? there are 15 days of doxycycline is the mm-hmm. prescribed treatment uh, approved by the Centers for Disease Control. But there are many specialists who realize that's not enough, especially for someone who's not first bitten. That was my case. I wasn't first bitten, right? And uh, it was pervasive in my body. And obviously, for the cognitive disorders that had already gone into my brain, I had them. My neck hurt so bad. There were so many symptoms, and each person's different. But thankfully, I didn't get better when she gave me that. I actually got worse, and it just continued. And I'm like, what's going on here? So I went to a Lyme literate medical doctor, and I'm thankful to have one close to me. And it was through her care that I got a pulsed protocol treatment. It took about six months, but it cleared so much of the Lyme disease from me. Look at me. I can talk, I can think, I can put words together, I can do math again.
1: And wow. and you are darling and you are powerful because I have been in your presence. And I'm sitting here when you said I couldn't do this, I couldn't do this, I couldn't do that. I'm like, well, who are you talking about? I have seen your recovery and your sharpness and God's additional testimony for your days. So it, it, this is true.
2: Yeah. I I have a saying that God didn't save your life because you needed another day. He saved it because someone else out there needs you. And that's when I knew I had to get more active in the Lyme community and speak out about it. And that's one reason I love to have a title is because I carry that with me. You remember mission work. I mean, yes, we can have mission work with a crown on our head. That gives us so many more opportunities to speak to people. And when you do, you carry a message. I still have people come up to me. Just last, just a few weeks ago, I had someone come up to me from my Ruritan club, which is a service club I joined 32 years ago. And they came up to me, Vonda, where is the name of that doctor you went to? I think I might have Lyme disease. Again half of the people who have Lyme disease do not even recall being bitten by a tick.
0: Yeah. That
2: is so scary. And the most prevalent are the ages four to 10 boys. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. I have a friend who has a big old backyard and has two boys that are young, that have both been bitten by ticks and they have a Lyme's diagnosis as young sons. And she, as the mother, even has Lyme's diagnosis. What would you be sharing for the greatest advice to these people that are listening that either don't know they have a Lyme's diagnosis? For Lyme disease, yeah.
2: If they don't know they have a Lyme diagnosis, but they're in, uh, if you have a dog, you're 50% more likely to get Lyme disease. Because you have the dog carrying them into the house. The cats, although they don't normally get Lyme disease, carry them into the house. If you have a bird feeder on your porch, birds carry ticks into your yard. Uh, If you live in the city and you think you're safe, it doesn't matter. It's just about grass and birds, and they're prevalent everywhere. And, And here's the thing. You're not going to know. The symptoms are going to be a little bit obscure. And there's so many things you can be misdiagnosed. Matter of fact, Lyme disease is called the great pretenda. And some of the things that you'll be diagnosed with for a child suffering Lyme disease is ADHD. And, of course, the not being attentive in class. Uh, then, of course, there are some children who have it very bad and they're paralyzed and they can't speak. And so they diagnose them with autism. But I have the friend, the cure that I took, my friend did a study where there were 4,000 autistic children who couldn't speak walk. And they went through the same protocol I went through, and they all came out of it. So autism is frequently misdiagnosed. There's an explosion of stuff with our kids. Listen to it. I mean, look around. How can that possibly be? Because there's something out there—a hidden epidemic—and it's called Lyme disease. And they're not talking about it.
1: <laughs> they're just not talking about it. Well, uh, I, th- my- <laughs> I don't—I don't think they're not talking about it on purpose. That we are all massively ignorant. Mm. Yeah. Well, it, it's again, health. Your health is a jenga. You know, you think
2: of the game of Jenga. you got this block and that block. So if you pull out a block that your body is fighting Lyme disease, wouldn't it be more easy to get some of the other things? When the doctors took X-ray and looked at my hip, did they see bone on bone and damage and needed to be replaced? Well, of course they did. Did they think about Lyme? Well, let's tell you about that. An orthopedic doctor is not allowed to tell you to think about Lyme because that's not his specialty. It's against the Hippocratic Oath. I don't think it's the Hippocratic Oath, but it's against the doctor guidelines. They can't talk about someone else's specialty. What in the world? What happened to the good old general practitioner?
0: Yeah. <laughs> wow.
2: And then if you're with a general practitioner, they're going to give you 15 days of doxycycline or 28 days of doxycycline, And there are studies, if you don't believe me, look up Dr. Soppy. The studies show a very high kill rate quickly. But unfortunately, with the high kill rate, they will get something called a biocyst or a round cyst. And these are like little eggs that they've left behind. And when the doxycycline is gone from your blood 30 days later, they hatch out three to 12 for every one there was. Mm. And so it won't be long until your body is overcome by this
0: again. Wow. Where can people go to find more information about this?
2: Global Lyme Alliance uh, is a very good organization. You can look that up. Uh, Lymedisease.org, another organization. They have a lot of resources there. At Global Lyme Alliance, you can put in your zip code and find something called an LLMD. And that is a Lyme literate medical doctor. I'm not saying our general practitioners or the doctors that we go to, primary care physicians are not knowledgeable. They are. But consider this: they have fifteen minutes in medical school on Lyme disease.
1: Oh, my word
0: mm. yeah, that's it, it's just like any other specialty, right? You would want to go to somebody who specializes in
2: and some of them make so much money. and yeah, and you wonder, is it the big farming? Is it big pharmaceuticals? Is it, is it what's in our food? Yeah, it's, it's all of it. Uh, mm. Things in our food are missing now. The nutrients that we had in the 50s are gone from our food now. Mm. I don't care if you're buying organic; it doesn't make a difference. It's, mm. it's not there. Mm. Is it engineered that way? I hate to be pessimistic and get everyone down, but I'm beginning to think it is. Mm.
1: Oh my word. Okay. So we have talked about two powerful subjects, a little bit of mental health and the dark tunnel. And we talked about Lyme disease. I'm going to actually sneak us into a couple other subjects. You mentioned in an email you had sent me that you went from heart attack to Miss senior America. Tell us that story in a nutshell. <laughs>
2: well, I, I, I did not participate in pageants and like many, People out there, professional women and other, oh, what about pageants? What's going on with that? Uh, you know, you, you did have 10 points from your IQ because someone's in a pageant. I wasn't involved in them at all. I was involved in, when I was a missus, I had a heart attack at 38. 38 what? years old. Yeah. What? Actually, yeah. It might have been a, a symptom of Lyme disease because of the heart arrhythmia that was going on. That's also involved with Lyme disease, but we're not going to go there. But I had a heart attack at 38 years old. I didn't know I was having a heart attack like many women. Uh, I was very tired. I had indigestion when I hadn't eaten. And what did I do? I went to bed and just asked God to keep me because <laughs> uh, and when I went back to the doctor to the hospital, and they did the EKG and all that had indicated that I had one. So we talked to my doctor, and they talked. I had already lost some weight. They talked about adding exercise in. Remember, I was working for this International Living History Museum, a, a wonderful job. But unfortunately, I was putting 40 to 50, 60 hours in. I was hitting myself caffeine all day. And don't forget the M&Ms at 4 o'clock to keep going. Yeah, that, that was me. <laughs> okay, someone's laughing. You know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, all of those things, and it was just that wake-up call. So I said, okay, maybe I need to add some exercise. Take some time for me. Mm-hmm. So it took a heart attack for me to take some time for me because every woman out there with your family and everything you've got going on, you're you're on the back burner and you know it.
1: Mm-hmm. So I, I love-, love you saying that. Could we repeat that every busy woman puts her health on the back burner and your admonishment is not to do that? Well,
2: yeah, and, but you're going to get a wake-up call. Hopefully, it's not going to be one of those, like, you want to live, you better do something. And uh, and so I followed that and I took time. Did I have to get up at 5 a.m. to do it? Yes, I did. Hmm. Oh, uh, and I did, but I was healthier for it. And when I got healthier, my schedule became easier. So there you got some benefits, right? Mm. And then I had a beautiful mom who said to me, you've got to go into this. I saw this Mrs. America pageant. You've got to go in that. Look at you. You know, look how far you've come. I'm no, 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 please. Oh, of course, your mother is encouraging you to go. So I went and I inquired about it. And the pageant said it was like oh, a job interview for the interview. I'd never been on one. Uh, and, of course, I got my dress at a thrift store. I kind of thought that adding three inches of blanket binder in a matching color to the dress to make it long enough. And you know, Roxanne, how tall I am. <laughs> so would be okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: Let's just go say that I didn't get a single point at that pageant. No one thought I could be Mrs. America. No one. Uh, but at that pageant, someone approached me afterwards and said, Rhonda, I, I was listening to what they talked about you, and you do so much community service and things in your community. You should consider the Mrs. International pageant because it's more focused on that. Uh, I did consider that pageant. It was a a great pageant that I got involved in. And let me think what year I finally was. 2009, I was Mrs. International Achievement. So, from a heart attack uh, to a pageant, but that's not the first time. God just, you know, He'll bring different things in your life. He wants to get your attention, He wants to get your focus. So, there's a reason for these things. So, when it happens, hold on, lean in, and get ready
1: to listen. Mm-hmm. And he will hold on. Lean in. Get ready to listen. Now, is that your admonition when you're in the heat of it, or yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, when you when you're going through something,
2: you're not going to recognize why, and you're going to be in the woe is me, and you're going to be depressed, and you might even be mad at God. Remember, we we do get mad at God occasionally. Why is this happening to me now? Why not you? Mm -hmm. Why not you? Because if you're anything like me, he's used everything in your life already for someone else's good. We've talked about how what you've been through can help someone else. And if it just helps one person, isn't that worth it? Mm -hmm. But maybe it'll help many more. And I have been through so many things, and I think a lot of us have, but you just have to be trusting to share that with someone because that word. And then when you do, when you're out in the secular world, into even a pageant, so it's secular, not everyone is a, a woman of faith. Although I was very pleased at the Senior America pageant of the number of people who did have faith, that was very nice. But it's not usually like that.
1: So it's very much more like missionary work when you
2: go. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, I I went wanting to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and my pageant week was abs. My national pageant week was absolutely the craziest comedy routine of senior moments and mishaps. (laughs) I do not know how well I was able to be the hands and feet of Jesus, but I do know that God connected me enough to invite wonderful people like you to share a bit of your story with us. Okay. We, because we want to talk four hours and we probably don't have that. I want to hurry you on to your last um, story that you had shared with me the disfigurement to a wholeness kind of part of your story. Can you share with us how God has used that in your life and a little bit more of that? Well, that I think you're alluding to the beauty is only skin deep
0: story.
2: Right. Uh, And it truly is Uh, Lyme disease. You know, was I was suffering from that and didn't know it. I always had I always had sinus conditions and things. But what had happened in my life from the time as I was eight years old. It took a couple years. The doctors kept seeing masses in my right maxillary sinus. That just means the right side of your face underneath your cheekbone. For uh, so those who are listening, and you know, they kept seeing it. They kept seeing it, and I was going to. Uh, Navy doctors, you know, when you're a Marine family, that's where you go. And they kept treating me with Diamond Tap, very similar to allergies. And they just said it has to do with allergies. And of course, I had a lot of allergies. Don't, you know, don't get me wrong, I was allergic to dust. Mm-hmm. But what happened when I was 16, although I'd been sick, and I was sick many, many times during the year, all of a sudden, a polyp, and think of that as a growth that has smooth edges. Hung out of my nose. Can you imagine a sixteen-year-old girl who thought maybe she looked okay had a, a, this thing that looked like a booger? Okay, it really did. And, it, and so, what I would do to go to school was to stuff it up there. And my doctor made uh, my my mom made an appointment with an ENT doctor. And here I am stuffing that booger up. And he took it out and looked at it. And they had me scheduled for emergency surgery the next day.
1: This was, this, was a, this,
2: this was a mass? A mass. The mass had worked from where they had been seeing it since I was eight years old. It took another eight years. And polyps and tumors and cysts, and let's just say the big C word, cancer, could work, work its way through and go right into your brain and completely disfigure your face so you had none. I've seen people with surgery after cancer in their sinuses, and they don't have a nose, and they have no cheek, and, you know, they literally have to, over their face, a prosthetic, but I didn't know anything of that, I just know I was scheduled for emergency surgery, and I tell people, the old days, does anyone know how to, you used to put those bath mats in the tub that had the suction cups on them, do you know what yeah. that is, yeah. well, you have to be, you have to be awake for the surgery I had, and they numb you up and get be something, you know, I really swear to God, I don't know what they gave me, but they could have cut my leg off and I would have cared. But they um they and it's graphic, but they so if you have a small child, don't listen to this. They actually had to chisel through my mouth and lift my face up to take my face off. And then they removed the tumors and polyps and it felt like that bath mat when you lift it up off the top, you can just feel it coming out of there. It was the weirdest feeling in the world. And of course, off to biopsy it went. After that, uh, they banished me up and into the room I went. And remember, I said I had the Lyme disease, and I had a secondary disorder with bleeding. Uh, I would hemorrhage and get bruises, and I couldn't do things because of the bruising. I couldn't do sports. I couldn't do this. I hemorrhaged, and they brought me back. I remember passing out, and it was, you know, pretty scary because everyone's running around you and taking you to the emergency room and putting pressure bandages on your head. But because of all that, I wasn't able to keep the ice and do the things, and my head turned into something that looked like a football, but in a different direction. And you know, was very, very. I, I was very disfigured for about six to seven months, uh, to the point where I didn't go out, and if I did, it was big glasses with a hat. And children would literally. You know, point and be scared when they saw me. Mm. So I tried not to go out. And yes, the most valuable player on the football team, the captain of the football team, uh, put, pushed me to the curve. Uh, yeah. So that is. I really learned right then that beauty's kind of skin deep, and your friends are your friends until you're not
1: what they think you should look like anymore. Mm. Oh, my gosh. I am so excited that you're alive and that you're living and speaking and talking and sharing and shining. Uh, I know that our listeners just got the tip of the iceberg in several of these stories today. I hope that they go and find your Facebook page uh, about Morning Walk. And, Rhonda, if you have any other ways that our listeners can... Uh, connect with you. You have a, so much beauty and power. And it's not because um you're strong. You've let him be your strength and guider through it all. And in it, our weakness. In our
2: weakness. He uh, he shines through those of us uh so broken and so weak and if you just let him mm-hmm.
1: okay so because we're gonna wrap it up with a closing powerful word that you would speak to a younger generation. How would you close this out with some something you would tell uh, the youngest generation that you've learned through all this uh, living? Well,
2: I always tell them this. And it's always been in my heart. Don't stop believing. Just hold on to it. Uh, life is is not our heaven. Uh, our heaven is ahead of us. And it it is an eternity. Right now is really our time to use here on earth to bring more people to heaven. So don't stop believing.
0: Rhonda's words of wisdom remind me of Colossians 3 that says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We're so thankful that you joined us today. I know you're going to want to connect with Rhonda, so make sure you check out the show notes. And until next time, you are a precious jewel in the eyes of Jesus. Your story matters. Let the world see you so they may see him.